Hello and welcome to the GemCast. I'm your host, Alex Knight, and this is episode 9. Today I'm joined by science fiction writer Kate Tempest Bradford, while Aline Sims is away at Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference for the remainder of the week. In episode 9, The World Hunger Shindig, Jem and the Holograms are invited to perform at a concert benefiting the victims of world hunger. When the misfits learn of the concert, they try to horn in. Sally Brand, the woman behind the world hunger shindig, tells them they can perform, but can't be on the live album unless another group backs out. Eric Raymond schemes to keep the holograms away from the concert and to make a tidy sum of money for himself in the process. Stay tuned for an action-packed episode. So today, unfortunately, we are without our wonderful Aline Sims. Uh, she is taking a bit of a sabbatical for the Apple Worldwide Developer Conference, which she uh, happened to get a scholarship for. So uh, she's going to be down for that event for, I think, the remainder of the week. So today we just have Kate Tempest Bradford. So episode nine... I, I know I've been complaining about this. I, I am not a huge fan of this episode. Um, but you like this episode. I love this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes from my childhood. Hmm. <laughs> now, is that because of nostalgia? Is this is that because you just happen to remember a lot of what happened in the episode without re-watching it? Or what is it exactly? No, I remember... Uh, everything about this episode and then you know re-watching it recently i was like right this is the episode we go on the trail ride and they're like hanging out in their bathing suits it's amazing um but no i think like the centerpiece of my love for this episode has to be um that misfit song in the middle which we'll get to later but yeah i just i love everything about it i love the like texas ladies being like you can't raise eight million dollars just so i can woohoo I mean, accents are terrible, by the way, and they're clearly all all of the people that are both the ladies and the men that have accents are they're just so bad. Mm, yeah, that's true. Well, mainly because a lot of the people that did the the voices for some of the different characters were were the people that do the the voices of of the main characters in the show. So there was a lot of you know wearing multiple hats, um, which which happens in animation. Uh, which is fine as long as you're talented enough to do different voices and you can't actually tell it's the same person. But that wasn't really the case here. Um, so, but we'll get to that in just a moment. So, I was just happy that uh, that we're finally finished that three part mini series with the Starbright stuff. Um, so it's kind of nice to be able to move on to something fresh. Although I wasn't particularly happy about this episode, but I mean, it was hilarious. I, I really was laughing my ass off throughout the entire episode. So we basically start with the holograms being flown in by helicopter to a private barbecue by Sally Brown, who is the person in charge of the world hunger shindig. And I noticed right at the very beginning in that scene in the helicopter, the helicopter pilot who's talking with a thick Texan accent. And it, I, I, I don't know if that's actually accurate or not. But oh, it it's totally really accurate. Bad. No, it seemed, 
it seemed terrible and <laughs> no, that's I'm what pretty... people in Texas sound like. I will tell you, as a person who lived in Texas, that's what Texans sound like. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, the uh the person that uh voiced the helicopter pilot was Michael Shahan, who also voices Rio Pacheco. I don't know if you recognized his voice, but it's it basically just sounds like Rio trying to do a really bad Texan accent. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> awesome. At the barbecue, Sally Brown is introduced as the host by a fellow in a cowboy hat who yet again appears to be voiced by Michael Shahan, doing a slightly different variation of a Texas accent, which is equally bad as the one he did previously as the helicopter pilot. And Sally introduces Ellen Sue Tanner to the crowd as the chairwoman of the World Hunger Foundation. The premise for the concert, which is to be held at the Houston Astrodome, was based on Ellen's bet to Sally that she couldn't raise $8 million within one week. Naturally, Sally accepted the bet. Without further ado, Sally brings Sean Harrison on stage and introduces him as both English teen idol and the person in charge of signing bands to the concert. And the holograms run on stage to perform a song. And this is rather quick, but we get a Gem and the Holograms music video right at the beginning of an episode, which, uh, to my knowledge, uh, is the first, I think, we've got something like this before i think so yeah it's like it's it's almost immediate like less than five minutes in i think yeah exactly and it's a really cool video well okay there are cool elements to it and there are some really effed up elements to it as well that's very true let's talk about that in a sec uh but first i should probably say what music video we're getting it is we can make a difference what do you think of the song and music video so I love the actual song, We Can Make a Difference, and I also love that clearly Britta Phillips, they were like, so you're going to have to sing your highest today, and she was like, okay, let me go get the lemon tea, because she's like melting it out. In this and she way. does a, to her credit, she does a wonderful job, she's got quite quite a range, but that was, it was like she was going to break glass or something. Yeah, like, she was definitely, and they made her sing like way at the top of that range for most of the song. Um, which is interesting. So I like the music for this song, but so the cool elements of this video is that first of all, like Jeff and the holograms literally hop off of a, a, a helicopter and run onto the stage, and there's still like dust swirling around them as they begin this song, and so it makes a kind of like cool visual. And and I also love that like at the very end of the video they return to that where there's like the dust and then there's like the, the nice keyboard work there. So I really like those elements. But yeah, I'm I'm actually really glad that you brought up the, the keyboard parts because I, I thought those were uh, I, I thought the keyboard part was something that really stood out uh, both at the intro and outro. I thought that little synth keyboard stuff was was a really cool pattern that she was playing. Um, by the way, did you notice that opening shot of them playing? Uh, you see them behind their instruments, but have you ever noticed that they never have any cables on stage? Like, nothing is plugged in. <laughs> They're magically wireless audio from the future. <laughs> wireless tech does exist. I, I mean, I, I don't know if it existed. No, I'm pretty sure even wireless tech existed back back in the mid 80s but, but not um, to that extent like you're right there, there should be a lot more things connected but they're not connected right <laughs> well at, at the very least for the drum set i mean you don't have wireless mics for for drums 
So, I mean, guitar players, yes. I've seen it for keyboard players even because you can have the receiver in your back pocket. But a mic uh, or sorry, not a mic set. A drum set is a complex thing to mic because you've got all these individual pieces that need need to be recorded. So that's... Uh, it's not a minor detail. It's pretty important, but it's I mean, how hard is it to draw a cable? A helicopter to do this. That's why it's that mm. way. <laughs> um, but okay. So the part of this video that's really messed up though, like, you know, I could see what they were doing. They're like, Oh, cause this is the eighties was sort of the decade in which we would hear like children are starving in Ethiopia. And so it's just like, random dark people in an African-like place are starving. And here comes Jem and the holograms to save them. So you got all this imagery of like, not only just the, the whole sort of savior complex, like Jerrica gives a small black child a food and then the small black child gives her a hug. And that's supposed to be like the reward that you want for, for helping people. And it is about world hunger. And I get that. But it's just so weird, like this whole idea of like magical white people food falling from the sky and then like the glittery magical white people seeds going into the ground and spreading up immediately. It's just so it's like it's like right on the edge of kind of being not okay. But it, you can tell their hearts are in the right place. That's my rant for today. <laughs> it's about the glittery white people seeds that go into the ground. Oh, uh, you know what? I just realized a stupid mistake. Her last name is Brand, not Brown. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go back and redo that entire thing. Whatever. Nobody's going to pay attention to that. After the holograms finish their number, they introduce themselves to Sally, and Sean asks the band who wrote the song. Kimber, in her usual shy demeanor, tells him that she wrote it. I'm just, as an aside, I find Kimber adorable when she's shy. Yes. She's like, uh, 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 I did. <laughs> she is she's she's the sweetest and it's so cute the way she's like oh i don't want because you know it's like the two sides of kimber she wants recognition for being you know like she doesn't want everybody just to pay attention to gem but then somebody asked a direct question like who wrote that great song she's like oh um it's me um like <laughs> oh kimber yeah and i just want to pinch her cheeks but also like can we can we pause for a minute and talk about Teen idol Sean, what's his name? Because look, first of all, is he actually like what is what does that mean? Teen idol? Is he an actual teenager? If so, he's like the oldest teenager in the world. He's like he looks he looks a lot older <laughs> than like, a teenager. Like it's as if they called him Luke Perry to play well, him. <laughs> I know <laughs> Luke Perry. I love that analogy. Uh, totally. I mean, it, it, he even looks older than Kimber. He does. And Kimber's the youngest member of the Holograms. Yeah, so I'm like, is he just a teen? Is he a heartthrob for teens, or is he meant to be a teenager himself? And I, I don't know. I think we get a clue a little bit later that maybe he's not actually a teenager, but it's just weird, like, the way they introduce him. They're like, and now teen heartthrob, Sean, what's his face? And you're like, what? <laughs> okay, like, why does he need that kind of introduction? What does that add to his character? I don't know. Well, so far it seems like Kimber is immediately smitten with any attractive man <laughs> she meets. Have you noticed this? Yes. Every guy. Because Kimber has many boyfriends, that's just how she is. Jem asks to be excused as she thinks uh, she's getting sick and leaves the party to go rest. Uh, this is used as an excuse to switch back to Jerrica Benton so that she can see Rio. 
and uh, the others are, of course, expecting her as well. She does a little clever switcheroo with um, Jerrica getting out of the taxi. Is it Jerrica getting out of the taxi or Jem getting out of the no, taxi? No, Jem gets gets in a taxi. But like with, oh, okay. when like right. Synergy creates taxi. the hologram of the taxi, it's actually this really cool effect where like first you see the headlights and then the car sort of like appears. Yeah, that was great. That was really awesome. Uh, but yes, it was like, it's the taxi that's coming for Jem and then Jerrica is like magically there. You know, let's, let's talk a little bit about Sally's accent. I know it's horrible, but the the words that are coming out of her <laughs> mouth i feel like that's not s- something that somebody would say well okay uh there's there's some words that are like typical like but I, I i just feel like i don't know it just it doesn't feel quite right it's it's hard for me to place it but um you know i mean like the, there's i wrote down this one piece of dialogue that she says at, th- at this moment. This one's not as bad as the others. I mean, this this one's actually totally fine, really. But she says, Jerrica Benton, feel like I know ya from from all them talks on the phone. So listen, <laughs> I don't know how much time you spent in the American South, but this is totally authentic dialogue and accent. I'm, I'm not playing with you. <laughs> this is exactly how... I mean, I, I you know, th- and there's a whole thing where... Sometimes on TV, they overemphasize the amount of like euphemisms that people in the South use. For instance, you know, oh, I was nervouser than a cat, a long tailed cat in a room full of rocket chairs. And you feel like people actually wouldn't say that, but oh, let me tell you <laughs> that things like that actually get said. So like that, totally normal dialogue. <laughs> totally normal. It is, I promise. <sighs> well, I'm going to try to keep a straight face while saying his name. But Sally introduces C.B. Dodd, a man whose fortunes lie in the oil industry, but who wishes to invest in a record company. C.B. Dodd. What planet is that name from? (laughs) The same planet that Boss Hog comes from in the Dukes of Hazzard. Because, let me tell you, but, okay, so... This episode, I, this was something that I didn't remember about it from when I watched it when I was a kid. But as I was rewatching, really I was like, oh, this is really weird. Is that there are a couple things that happen in this episode where you're like, why did they put that in the script? Cause it doesn't seem to go anywhere or be about anything. Like this introduction of this dude who's like an oil man who wants to invest in a record company. And then we never see him like do that. He doesn't ask Jerk any questions. There's no like, if this goes well for German holograms, then. I'll invest and then you'll have more money for your one band. Um, like it just, it doesn't seem to go anywhere. Like CB shows up one other time in the story and, and he's acting sort of like, it seems like he's Sean's personal secretary. Like it's weird. And, and why is it always a rich white dude who is in the oil industry? This, this has been done before, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. Like, didn't we get, uh, I don't know if he was in the oil industry, but what, what was the name of that guy from one of the previous episodes? Uh, I think he was also from Texas. Oh, he, yeah. He, he was the guy that that said, I love to see sparks fly. Yeah, that dude. I mean, he probably was an oil dude. I don't know. But it's like, Texas oil dudes do tend to be white dudes. It really is a lot. Sure. Dallas. Oh, no, that's that's totally <laughs> believable. It's basically, we've, we've dropped into an episode of Dallas <laughs> with this one. Well, unfortunately, the 
conversation is cut rather short when the misfits make a grand entrance in a low riding Cadillac with what appears to be bullhorns on the front. <laughs> now, I'm not sure if the, I wrote down bullhorns. I'm not sure if those are bullhorns for sure. Some kind of horn from, from one of those types of animals. Anyway, the misfits don't even wait for Eric Raymond to introduce them to Sally. Eric and the misfits ingratiate themselves uh, upon Sally since they are eager to perform at the world hunger shindig. Sally accepts but stipulates that they will not be on the live album unless someone backs out. Eric and the misfits are invited to stay together in Sally's guest house, but Eric is not enthused by the idea. This kind of sets up a to me, what was uh, uh, an amusing scene because Eric groaned at the idea that he would have to stay with the misfits. And <laughs> yeah, but like, did he make any other arrangements for them? No. Well, <laughs> that's true. I mean, it's, it is his own fault, I suppose. Yeah, it is. It totally is. Now the holograms tried to warn Sally about Eric uh, because of his checkered past, but Sally is quite aware of who he really is and acknowledges that she knows he's a weasel quote unquote that raised the question for me why exactly is he involved like she he's a promoter but like she's the one who put this whole thing together she's like oh i know he's a weasel well why did you hire him i it's never made clear <laughs> no it isn't and there's a, a scene with pizzazz and sean which i found very strange and this is a topic we've discussed before about why does someone who is perfectly attractive constantly get rejected and not just rejected you know in a reasonable way but like really rudely uh even when pizzazz is really nice to people like in this moment where she's coming up to sean uh you know it's it's just bizarre it is and it also it it's bizarre because she's talking about like seeing him a year ago at a club in london and he was ready to take all comers. And he's like, I'm not taking all comers now. I'm like, what? This not is anymore, girl. So run along. Right. You're like, what? what? Like, why and would you say that? Why would Why would he say that? And like, what exactly was even going on when she met him? Like, I, it's, it's this, it's this really weird, like, and then we were in this club in London a year ago. Okay. But he's a teen heartthrob. Was he too young to be in that club in London? What does it mean that he was taking all covers or fighting all covers? Like, was he a wild child? And then I'm like, why do we care exactly? Because he's like, it's just, it raises so many questions. Do you think maybe Sean pulled a Don Draper and like poked her for one night and then said, see you later? <laughs> That is entirely possible. He also seems We to, don't really know that much about Sean. No, and he, uh, like, according to Pizzazz, he's undergone some, like, major transformation of personality because he was apparently the kind of dude who went to hang with her a year ago, but now all of a sudden he doesn't. Does this and he's have, too good for her. He's too good for her. Does this have something to do with his status as a teen heartthrob? What exactly does Sean do? in life. I don't know. It's very it's confusing. It is a mystery. And once again, it's something that this episode brings up and doesn't really explain. And at the guest quarters, we see a very frustrated Eric Raymond who is struggling to get his cowboy boots off. <laughs> uh, that seems understandable since he's not used to the attire of urban cowboy, I suppose. I mean, because he does wear like a just a typical, you know, three-piece business suit, right? He doesn't even have the like correct little tie 
bolo thingy. Pizzazz comes storming in and yells at Eric after finding out that the band will be doing the concert without being paid. To add insult to injury, they won't be on the live concert album. But Eric seems to have everything worked out, or does he? When he tells the Misfits not to worry that they'll be on the album and it will be their ticket to, quote, international recognition. Now, can I just say, I feel like Eric is constantly creating his own problems by um, setting the wrong expectations for the Misfits. He really is. You know what I mean? But by saying this, like, you are promising the moon. You better be able to deliver. And clearly he has not been able to deliver. So don't don't say stuff like this. Well, I feel like Eric is one of those types of dudes who like like he, you know, saw the We Are the World video and he's like, Hey, I can do that. And then, you know, he was like, Oh, Band Aid, like all the bands from Band Aid totally made it to international stardom. So I can just get the misfits on this album and it's just gonna be a piece of cake. And he just has no conception of like how hard it was to put together We Are the World. I mean, there were like seventy people involved in that. And he's incredibly arrogant. That that much is clear. Yeah. I thought the the next scene. Well, it's still in the same scene, but uh, Eric's dialogue was hilarious here because he's really really frustrated by the misfits and by the the way they treat him. Uh, and Stormer asks him, what are you getting out of this, Eric? And he replies with nothing, nothing but contacts and publicity for you ingrates. <laughs> now go to bed and get out of my hair. <laughs> and then they do. And then Eric realizes his tragic mistake because there are three <laughs> well, bedrooms. Na- <laughs> I know uh, that, that part was hilarious. <laughs> One of those bedrooms you, ca- you guys are going to have to share. And then they're like, nope. <laughs> Why would we do such a thing? You sleep on the couch. Eric should have known he would have ended up sleeping on the couch. Like, he should have just gotten them into the motel but he didn't. Well, naturally, this wouldn't be an episode of Gem without some kind of planned sabotage. And Zipper seems to materialize out of thin air when he appears at the corner of a room and reassures Eric of his plans. And I say materializes because of Zipper's dialogue. And he actually says, Psst, over here. <laughs> like... Like, Eric didn't know he was there? Like, how did he get in? He crawled through a duct. (laughs) Oh, he likes doing that. He does. And he says, everything is set at the Astrodome. Any last-minute details? And he says, yes, there is one. I want you to get rid of Gem and the Holograms tomorrow. This seems very clear to me. I want you to get rid of the meaning... I want you to get rid of them permanently. Right. Like, Eric is always, like, actually plotting to murder people. Because you don't send Zipper in just to, like... I mean, Zipper does just tie people up sometimes. But I feel like, really, you don't send Zipper in unless you're prepared for Zipper to, like, actually throw some people off a cliff or whatever. And I feel like that's really what's going on here. And it also makes me just think, like... (laughs) Is Eric just so desperate for, for this, whatever this is for him, he's just going to straight up kill people? I don't know. Well, the following morning, Sally goes over to the guest house where the holograms are staying. Dressed in business attire, Kimbert makes a comment about her sudden change in appearance from the previous evening. And I quote from Sally, Whip cracking business duds. I'm going into my office in Houston. Y'all enjoy the ranch today here. Plenty of things to do, riding, swimming, but stay away from gullies and ravines. First sign of a cloud, hightail it back here. This is flash flood season. 
That is completely preposterous. Really? Are you sure? <laughs> First of all, if you see a cloud and it starts raining, you're not going to suddenly within a split second have a flash flood. Well, not so within a it's, split it's, second. it's silly. I mean, there is a reason why they call them flash floods. I mean, I can understand it's sound advice to not be in a ravine, especially if there's like some way for water to get in there, you know, but I mean, it just, it's ridiculous. It seems it might be. I've, I've not investigated the truth of those claims, but I, when I was a kid, I was like, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm not in a ravine during flash flood season. It seems like a good idea to just stay out of ravines. Well, cut to a different scene here because we see, uh, sitting at a park bench, a, a rather lonesome looking Rio. And, uh, Jerrica, uh, walks over to meet him. And after commenting on the beautiful weather they're having, Rio retorts in a kind of gloomy, I suppose so way. And Rio doesn't appear to be too happy to see Jerrica. And she was hoping that the two of them could spend some time together. And, of course, he apologizes and promises to see her later in the evening. What did you think of Rio's mood in this moment? Is this more just typical Rio? I don't understand what exactly Rio's problem was. Rio didn't have anything to be sad or mopey about yet. And this is another one of the things in this episode, which is not really explained, is like, what is wrong with Rio? I feel like there was a scene or like something that was said or done that was in the script at some point and got taken out and they didn't really realize that it, that, that taking it out meant that Rio's motivations and mood don't make any sense because really he's like mopey and he doesn't have anything to be mopey about. Like he hasn't had a fight with Jem or Jerrica as far as we've seen. This is just the tip of the iceberg for this episode because I just think overall this episode is not not as strongly written as some of the previous episodes, especially especially the Christy Marks uh, written episodes. But um, this is exactly what I mean by, you know, this is not really excusable in any show, even if it's a kid's show. Like, there, there are basic things that need to make sense. Like, like, why does a character choose to be a certain way? Why, why do they decide to be a certain way in that, in that given moment? Why, why do they feel like this in this given moment? And this does, doesn't make sense at all to me. Yeah. I mean, Rio is a, a jerky butthead most of the time, but, there just doesn't, there's just no reason for it right here. And it just, it never gets like, we never get an explanation why he's being about it. Later in the afternoon, Sean notices Kimber feeding a bird and charms her into taking a horseback ride with him. Kimber accepts while Pizzazz jealously eavesdrops at a distance. Um, you know, I kind of felt bad for Pizzazz in this moment because, and this really goes back to previous episodes where she's snubbed by so many men and okay look i i get it she has kind of a rotten attitude but there's when somebody is actually being nice to you there's no reason to not treat them like a human being i mean that is that really that much to ask and so you know i just feel like she never nobody ever gives her a chance. This is true. I mean, I feel like, once again, the idea is that she doesn't, we, the audience knows she doesn't deserve a chance because she's so terrible. But, just in terms of, like, when she comes across people and they immediately are just like, ew, get away from me. 
there's no real reason for it other than like the show is saying pizzazz is bleh. And I get the impression that she's a very lonely person. Actually, I would say that this is perhaps the the only saving grace in this episode is even though there's no dialogue in the scene, I like that they included this scene of just pizzazz standing there, um, kind of looking lonely and watching these two people and watching this guy that she likes and obviously has some kind of history with walk away with another woman. It's got to feel pretty terrible. Yeah, it does. But he's walking away with Kimber and we like Kimber. So that's true. That's true. I mean, I'm happy for her, but I also simultaneously feel sympathetic towards pizzazz. I think you're the only one, though. <laughs> it's sad to say. It's sad to say. We should take a poll. We should We should ask our listeners, do they feel bad for pizzazz sometimes? Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from people if they have any comments ab- about that, for sure. I really don't want to be the only person that has ever watched this show <laughs> who has felt bad you know, bad for pizzazz at times. Yeah. I mean, she's had a pretty terrible upbringing and it's not like her father is any good at all. This is true. I mean, she could be seeking male approval because she feels like she doesn't have the attention and approval of her father. She wouldn't be the first woman to do so. And perhaps that desperation is what men are repelled with from whatever but i don't know i kind of feel like i don't even know if we ever get in the entirety of this series a, a man who appreciates pizzazz for who she is she certainly has things to work on uh i mean she there are many aspects obviously of her personality that are problematic i, I like i like to give people the benefit of the doubt even though they seem they might seem like a jerk you know, I try to, I don't know, I try to, uh, try to get to the heart of like, why is the, why is this person this way? Even, you know, just for the sake of just satisfying my own curiosity about, about that person. I'm just interested in people. I guess the, the whole psychology aspect is fascinating to me. That's a good way to be. Well, Zipper is seen overlooking a cliff as he keeps tabs on where, uh, Kimber and Sean and the holograms are headed on horseback. And the holograms decide to rest for a while, and the group decides to go for a quick swim. And Sean receives an important phone call about an urgent contract that needs to be signed back in Houston. I was trying to actually figure out who he was talking to, but the the person on the other end doesn't mention their name. Did you recognize that that person's voice? I assume they're just somewhat inconsequential to, to that scene. Yeah, I think it's just like some random dude with contracts which i was just like what contracts do you need to sign today well it's per- it must be a contract for for the concert right because he's in charge of uh of signing people i guess they they didn't fill the roster wait i thought it, the roster was full because the whole the whole reason why the misfits couldn't be on the live album was because jim and the holograms were on there and, and sally said well you know unless somebody pulls out you can't be on the album so that seems weird yeah it's just weird i think it's just like uh, i mean it just could be it could be just a random contract for a band that has nothing to do with this concert some on some whatever record record label he represents right? it's it's some sort of english um teen idol contract Probably with, like, Spencer Gifts so that they could sell t-shirts with his face on them. The whole reason why they they did that is really just to set up the, the next scene. So that the whole phone call, you know, the going the, the motivation for going to Houston to sign the contract or whatever it is. I mean, the contract is kind of the MacGuffin here because it's not 
at relevant or important really at all. Um, because in this next scene, uh, we get to see Zipper commands, uh, them to walk towards the ravine and, uh, he's wearing a red bandana, which I thought was hilarious because you can still tell it's Zipper and Eric always hires the same guy. And the fact that they don't recognize him seems so strange. Look, Zipper is a mysterious force of mysteriousness. You know, with a bandana over his face, suddenly he looks like Zorro. I don't know. (laughs) They need a way to get out of this um, scene here. And Kimber creates a distraction pretending to be hurt while Jem uses synergy to create holographic rain. And then a flash flood that sends Zipper and his hired thug running. Once again, Eric's dastardly plans are foiled, at least for the moment. Yes, but this whole thing where, like, holographic rain scares away people, I also have issues with this. It's just, I'm also mad that the the rest of the holograms didn't know that that was some fake water coming down that ravine. I'm just mad. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. I mean, we've talked about how... The holograms, they're not uh, made out of matter, right? So the fact that it starts raining and Zipper doesn't feel the water hitting his jacket or hear the sound of water dripping and hitting on, on his jacket, I mean, it's bizarre. Zipper is a man who lives in the moment. He just, he believes what he sees with his eyes, as we have seen on many occasions, like that time that he had the holograms locked up in the Starlight Drive-In, and he was like, oh no, a lion! Well, I mean, he's uh, he's not the smartest tool in the shed, or the sharpest tool in the shed, I guess is the no, expression. He's not, he's not smart at all, but, you know, Zipper follows orders, that's what he's there for. And at the hayride, Kimber is disappointed to hear that Sean has taken off with the misfits and wouldn't be joining her. But the truth of the matter is that the misfits created a ruse by telling Sean that Kimber wanted to meet him at a local club. After arriving at the club, the misfits receive a very strong and warm welcome by some fans. And this brings us to our second music video of this episode by the Misfits, of course, called Gimme, Gimme, Gimme! Exclamation mark on each one, by the way. (laughs) And this is one of my favorite Misfits songs ever. Well, it's so Misfits, right? It just really encapsulates everything that, that they are about. Yes. And plus, like, this video is a lot of fun because it's basically just... Pizzazz running around, taking people's stuff, like she takes somebody's purse. Stealing somebody's hamburger. Right, chicken. How hilarious. She's, and they just have so much fun up there dancing, and they're so appreciated by the crowd. And then, my favorite line of any song, don't expect no gratitude, the only thing I give for free is attitude. That's That's a great line. (laughs) That's so great. I have to remember to say that in my life. If you don't expect no gratitude, I'm being attitude. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I love Gimme Gimme Gimme. Yeah, I, I like it too, to be honest. Now, do you like this song better than um, the We Can Make a Difference video? Well, yeah, I do. I mean, first of all, there's no um, annoying white savior complex happening. Um, but so it's just fun. Like it's a really fun song. And the, I think the video aspect of it is actually really good. Uh, the outfits though. <sighs> well, the outfits across the board are atrocious. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the cowboy theme. No. Oh God. Right. No. Gem's pink cowboy outfit later on. Right. Oh, well, I man, mean, so bad, but at least 
the outfits later on that the holograms have on are like sort of you can tell what somebody was going for but like I don't even know what the misfits are doing it's like it's like a cowboy exploded in the misfits dressing <laughs> And then just like got all over all their regular clothes, and they're just like, whatever, just put it on. We're going to the club. Like, it's just, man, it's like a mismatch of all kinds of craziness. And so I can't, I can't approve of their outfits. But other than that, I really love, I love this song. I'm really sad though that Sean does not like the song because once again, we have this like unreasonable assholeness. It's a perfectly a, fine song. Right, it's He's a great song. Snobby. He is really snobby. And I'm like, yes, I know you want to get back to Kimber and her red hair and her blue eyes, but you can appreciate some of this gimme, gimme, gimme going on in front of you, sir. And I think actually that segues nicely into the next scene uh, when they're driving down the road in Pizzazz's Cadillac and they uh, engage in a bit of an argument uh, being pizzazz and sean of course and i think what pizzazz says here is very accurate and she's she's right in this in this moment but she tells sean your new mellow personality is sickening used to like good songs used to have guts and he tells her to slow down and grow up (laughs) and she tells him you've turned into a wimp and he, and he she's has. totally right. Yeah, he has. Like, it, there is nothing wrong with that song. There's nothing wrong with that song. And I don't know, like, once again, we don't know what Sean was like before, but I bet he was actually a lot more fun. Because even though Sean is like, he's a sweet dude, and, you know, he likes Kimber, and we like him because he likes Kimber. But, like, let me tell you that Sean is just the wimpity whip at whip. I just don't, I don't like how he talks down to her by saying, oh, girl. Yeah. Like, it's just. Like, you don't need to talk to her like that. Like, basically, he's, like, the worst, like, sort of British upper class twit. (laughs) It's like, that, that's his stereotype that he's playing, too. And, and as we, we find out down the line, Sean just has no guts and nothing to offer, no boldness. And he was probably better when he was bold and liked Misfits songs. Well, the Misfits uh, nearly collide with the holograms while they're on the hayride. And without doing the decent thing and stopping to check if they're unharmed, Pizzazz just drives off. And Jem asks Kimber if she noticed who was in that car. And Kimber... Uh, of course, does and vows never to speak with Sean Harrison again. Oh, Kimber, you and your I can kind of understand it because he hasn't had a chance. I mean, the, to explain himself, and it's not looking good. It's not looking good, but uh, Kimber's always like, "I'm never going to speak to him again," and she does. Well, I, I think it's totally in character for Kimber because she's she's the youngest in the group, so she technically should be the least mature. She's very emotional and doesn't really think through the situation very clearly. I don't know, emotional may be a little bit demeaning because there's nothing wrong with being emotional, but she doesn't really think clearly about all the variables and in what could possibly be going on. Like, she doesn't even give him a chance. Right, she jumps to a lot of conclusions. Exactly, she jumps to conclusions. I was looking for that. No, it's true. It's true, she does. And she's, she would be, she's always like, so the first one to be like, I'm just going to declare this, even though I don't have all the evidence. It's very teenager-like. Behavior. It is. And it's, she's, you know, she's probably 19. But there's one thing I actually want to mention. So we go from like the whole scene where Zipper, you know, kidnaps them and they're in the ravine and then there's big flash blood. And then they're going on this hayride. They're worried about Sean. 
there has been no discussion of the fact that they nearly got kidnapped. Or they did get kidnapped. They got kidnapped by two men. And did they go to the police? Did they even tell Sally? Did they tell real? Like, <laughs> why, why are we just brushing off the fact that people try to kidnap us? Like, mere hours before this. and But we're real worried about who's in the car like there's a man in a bandana going around trying to hurt people and he's probably still out there maybe in the forest i mean come on strange it is really weird once again pieces missing from this script the scene where they come back and they're like somebody tried to kill us zipper calls eric from a phone booth after rio tries to unsuccessfully get in touch with jerica and after relaying the unfortunate news of his failure to rid eric of the holograms eric flies off the handle it's very upset. eric gets that way yeah and zipper actually tells eric you wouldn't believe a flash flood came out of nowhere Look, sometimes flash floods come come out of nowhere and they ruin all your plans. I, I love the way Zipper talks to Eric. I just thought the dialogue was funny, but he actually says, Hey, mellow out, Pops. It's covered. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody talks like that anymore. Zipper. It's true. At the Astrodome, Zipper poses as the ticket attendant, even though he doesn't attempt to disguise himself this time. All of the money from the ticket sales goes straight into a bag under his desk. Why do you think he didn't bother disguising himself? Like, you know, like even a, a wig or a mustache or a beard or something. I mean, don't you think it's risky for, for him to be out in broad daylight like that? But look, nobody seems to know who this dude is. He's from out of town. He's from California. So... And then, like, what do ticket takers usually look like at the Houston Astrodome? Are they dudes in, you know, like, little outfits? Or, they, or do they just look like some dude who's like, yeah, here you go, here's your ticket. Well, the way he talks, I mean, he, he doesn't even sound trustworthy. He was like, yeah, <laughs> don't mention it. You know, like, like, that doesn't sound trustworthy. This is not a man I can trust. Right. I mean, this is in the days before Ticketmaster. <laughs> this is why Ticketmaster was invented. See, if this was happening in 2015, like Zipper would be probably technically inclined. He would set up a fake, like, Ticketmaster site to, uh, like a, uh, what's it called? A phishing attack or whatever, to lure you to click on a link that would go to a page that looked like Ticketmaster, but it wasn't Ticketmaster, and all the money would go directly into some Swedish bank account. Exactly. And then the plan would have, would have worked instead of what they got. But, here in, the, here in the early 80s, you just have Zipper with a bag full of money. Yes. That was a very, very analog approach. <laughs> well, Sean catches up with Kimber before taking off uh, to the holograms dressing room and apologizes for the mishap earlier in the day. He admits that Pizzazz tricked him into going with the band, and Kimber quickly accepts his apology. I thought that was nice, and I think this is actually a very important scene to establish that he's not a jerk. Mm -hmm. This is true. And I and I like that, you know, Kimber immediately accepts what he says is true because, you know, Pizzazz does trick people. We all know that. So, Well, I think had she not immediately accepted his apology or story, I think that would have been a bit strange because the thing is with Sean, he hasn't given us a reason not to trust him, at least based on what we've seen in the little information we know of this character. He is supposed to be a, you know, nice, sweet man and he's nice to Kimber and, you know, I mean, he's a jerk to pizzazz, but the audience really 
I guess from the writer's perspective, are not supposed to care because they're the quote unquote, you know, bad guys. They're the antagonists, right? Um, so you're never you're never supposed to like the misfits. Even though I kind of do like them a little better. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Your secret is safe with me. Thank you. And while uh, while the apology is happening, the holograms are escorted into an empty room <laughs> marked as their dressing room, upon which they are locked in for the duration of the concert. I know the door sign that says the, no, no, no. the holograms, that, but when they open it... That door doesn't have a sign. That door has some chalk. Okay, that looks like... Was it chalk? I thought it was it a sign. Like somebody drew with chalk, gem in the holograms, and a star. <laughs> That's even worse. And then oh my they were God. like, here's your dressing room. I was like, wait a minute, that looks sketchy. That looks so sketchy. You gotta stop. That's not okay. Wouldn't you know when he opens the door that just by glancing in, you can see it is clearly not a dressing room. It is a storage room. It has shelves. They weren't paying attention. They were thinking about uh, world hunger. <laughs> They weren't their best in this episode. They were not the brightest at all. It keeps getting worse. But anyway, I'm going to bite my tongue for now. Uh, Kimber searches for the band and bumps into Rio, who is a tad irate as he hasn't spent much time with either Jim or Jericho. Boo-hoo, poor Rio. Okay, look, because Rio says, like, not only does he just, like, is having his feels about Jim and Jericho, but he says, you're the first contact I've had with the holograms in two days. Dude, you were staying in the same place as they were staying. Why didn't you just go Yeah, home? How, how does, exactly, what has he been doing? He's been I mean, wandering the streets of Houston. Do you think he's been taking hayrides and just brooding? Maybe, maybe because like yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you can brood on a hay on right. a hayride. Like, it just it didn't make because he said he was going to call Jerrica at ten o'clock, but then she didn't answer the phone. But then why didn't he just go back to the ranch because he was clearly staying there and be like Jerrica, what happened? I tried to call just you. Just go, just go there in person. It's not Once that hard. Again, we are missing parts of the script. We do not know. I mean, I feel like you know, Rio was just <laughs> he was just wandering the streets. Crying. It's so strange because he just makes this this phone call and he's like, "Well, she didn't answer. I did my part, you know." <laughs> he's the worst. <laughs> it's like it's the equivalent in 2015 of texting somebody that you're interested in or that you're dating, and when they don't respond, then you're just like, "Well, you know, I did my part." You know, it's like, "Oh, that's not good enough." Wow, <laughs> so yeah, it just like Rio's anger is unreasonable at this point. And, you know, it's off of his unreasonable moodiness earlier. We just we just don't know. But Kimber is like, Jerick is asleep, whatever. I'm worried about everybody else. What's going on? But then, <laughs> but then, like, they they don't explain this fully to everybody else. Like, everybody else is just like, well, if Jim and the holograms don't show up. It's like, Kimber needs to be like, well, some dudes tried to kidnap us yesterday. So perhaps they've been kidnapped by the same dudes. And oh, by the way, some dudes tried to kidnap us yesterday. Like, people just think it's normal for Gemma and the Holograms to just disappear. <laughs> just there, just gone. No, that, that would never happen. <laughs> it's so weird. Well, the Holograms thankfully find a way to escape from the storage room after discovering an air duct conveniently large enough to fit them. And they crawl through the duct, and when Zipper's hired thug comes back to check on them, he's fooled into thinking that Jem, Aja, and Shayna are still in the room. Now, they're holograms, but here's the thing. How are the three of those holograms being generated if 
Jem is in the air duct, she's not in the same room. That just defies the laws of physics. And on top of that, when the guy comes back to check on them and he walks away, the hologram disappears at that exact moment. How? How does that... How does the hologram... How does Synergy know when to... Like, that doesn't make any sense. Synergy was at her most magical in this episode. It's, it is. It is magic. That's the only way I can describe that. It is not how holograms work. I mean, uh, the, they established in the pilot episode that the, that the earrings that Jerrica wears are holographic micro projectors. Therefore, you cannot project something if you're not in the same goddamn room. This is true. It doesn't make I feel any like sense. I remember once I was reading the the series Bible that Christy Marks created for uh, Gemma Hologram. She was talking about synergy and what synergy could do and what synergy couldn't do. And I remember there was like this really specific passage about how, you know, she's like synergy is not magical and synergy is not um, psychic. So she can't just like. So they broke that rule. She can't just know what you're supposed to do. Like, like somebody has to tell her what to do and what the situation is. But I think that that was written into the Bible because of episodes like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they like, should have referred to that. Well, it, and it may have been written, you know, the final Bible may have been after, you know, these couple, because like I, she wrote the first, you know, like she wrote that first movie and I think she wrote all of Starbright. So this is the first thing we're getting. After Starbright, so this is, I think the first non Christy Marks episode, right? So I think that you know it may be because of things like this she had to write that in. She's like, you can't just have synergy, just know shit and do whatever. Uh, it seems so weird that somebody I, I I don't know how many writing credits this person has who wrote this show. And forgive me, I, I didn't make note of the 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 guy's name that, that wrote it, but. It's it's just it's so bad that it doesn't follow the basic principles the 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 rules that they they have created for the show for the characters for the world that these characters inhabit and and you can't break those it can be ridiculous it could be silly this is sci- bit of sci-fi this is fantasy that's fine but even like everyone knows that like the the basic rule of thumb is like you have to as a writer you have to establish some rules in your world and if you start breaking them then you've lost the reader right like the immersion of me being in this world now i start to question everything because it's like well you just said that these characters can only do this or that synergy can only project holograms within this certain distance or within the same room. And now you've thrown that out the window. So I don't know what to believe anymore. Pretty much. Yeah. And you know, I just want to say one quick thing about the thug that locked them in the room when he peeks through that, uh, view window and says, uh, that's what I like to see. Good, quiet girls. That was just so creepy. That is terrible. At the World Hunger Shindig office, Zipper drops by with a briefcase of the ticket booth money for Eric. The briefcase is hidden in the air duct behind Eric's desk, of course. And we get to see Jem, who has eavesdropped on the entire conversation between Eric and Zipper. Eric seems awfully confident that his plan is rock solid and will assure the Misfits have a spot on the concert album since the holograms are locked away. 
Jem creates a hologram of a snake, which freaks Zipper out when he tries to snag the briefcase away from from Eric. Um, I thought that was pretty funny. And again, I'm questioning things in the show because at that very moment, Jem actually tries to get out, but when she grabs the uh, the the grate, she's like, "Oh, the screws are too tight. I I can't I can't get it open." But then when Zipper comes back into the room. He just grabs the grate and just, like, pops it open without any tools. It doesn't make sense. She just said there are screws holding that thing up. How did he take... How did he just rip it off? I don't understand. Is he the Hulk? Does he have, like, super strength? That makes no sense. He's magical. Or Jem was, like, trying to get it out the wrong way and assume that it has something to do with screws and not just that she was, like, doing the wrong thing to try to move the grate. Maybe uh, she failed to read the label on the grate that says... uh, Push, don't pull. Well, after running out of the room and being completely freaked out at the snake, uh, he comes back with a bat. (laughs) And the holograms, of course, have managed to escape at this moment, but Zipper sees them and chases after them. Meanwhile, Kimber urges Sally to halt the concert for just a few more minutes as she assures her that the rest of the band will be showing up any minute. Cut to Jem, Aja, and Shayna as they try to get away from Zipper by climbing into a duct conveniently, of course. It just happens to be there at the very moment. Um, and leads them to a platform high above the stage where they need to be. And Synergy projects her voice over the PA and announces Jem and the holograms. Now, Jem, Aja, and Shayna dramatically slide down a net holding a bunch of balloons. Oh my god! That thing! <laughs> and the music starts up exactly, perfectly timed as they hit the yes. stage. And so, first of all, let's talk about this. About how they just grab this net, and they're like so sure that this is going to be okay. They just, they leap into the net, they, and they just gently fall to the ground. Everybody would have been dead. In real life, everybody would have been dead. <laughs> that net could not have held all three of those ladies like that. There's no way. And just to like no gently way. float to the stage, I feel like this is probably more dangerous even than Roadrunner cartoons and like, giving us unrealistic ideas about physics. Well, uh, yeah, it, it, that whole scene was completely ridiculous, but um, this segues nicely into uh, the final music video of this episode, which is Share a Little Bit of Yourself. Uh, what did you think of the song and the video? So, I like the, I like the song, um, but this is once again... Or maybe is is this the video with the magical the magical white people seeds that grow up immediately? I keep I sometimes I get this one confused with the with the very first one. I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't actually write any notes about. Well, the I know that one of them has all this uh, like weird magical like yeah. seeds and and whatnot. But um, I. Oh, I think that that might have been from the We Can Make a Difference thing. Okay. Because, because there are people oh, like in Africa right. or whatever, they're like growing food and yes, stuff like that. Yes, that was We Can Make a Difference. So like Cher is, is kind of similar, but because it keeps being interrupted by the Misfits, <laughs> we were like, give. And it's like really weird because like the misfit sections of the song are like, they're so misfit Like they're, you know, Jim Hollander is like, Share your wealth with everyone, and the missus are like, give it, give, give right now. Like, no stopping. But they don't say give it to us. They do say, like, give to whatever cause. But it's just so, it's so misfitting. But I just, 
I, I wonder why they decided to go with that because, and maybe because they couldn't come up with like enough lyrics from the share song to, to make it like the whole minute, 30 seconds or however long it is. But it kind of interrupts the flow of it. does. It's very, re- it's really strange. And it just doesn't seem to be useful. Um, but I, I like the Jim the Hunters parts of the song. And yeah. Yeah, it was okay. As the world hunger shindig concludes, Ellen Sue Tanner broaches the disappointing news that uh, Sally is $280,000 short of her $8 million bet for the concert. But saving the day, Jem runs uh, in with a briefcase containing money that was stolen by Zipper. And Bazaz says, uh, just in it for the contracts, huh, Eric? <laughs> Oh, pizzazz. It turns out it was $250,000, so they're still a bit short, and Eric actually says, I collected it privately. It's a surprise. Yeah. yeah. I love that pizzazz actually says, you were the one who looked surprised, Eric. He's like, be quiet. <laughs> they're just so trying to get him in the trouble. They're like, if we don't get to play this World Hunger Shindig and be able to let album... Eric is going to get in trouble, too. Sally actually says uh, to Eric, the bet don't mean diddly, Eric. I'm playing for them little starving <laughs> kids. <laughs> so sign over your $50,000 promotion fee. Oh, my God. Poor Eric. So He just like, can't get a break. He can't get a break, but this is, it's so weird because literally he has committed felonies right in front of them. And they're like, whatever, as long as we get our money for the starving kids, it's going to be okay. <laughs> That's all that matters. Attempted murder, that's just water under the bridge. Well, any other closing thoughts on this episode? I still want to know why Rio is so moody, and we don't get to know that. I still need to understand what's up with Sean and his, like, how he used to be versus how he is now. We don't get any of that. I want to know if Sean and Kim are got it on. Uh, that's just a thing that I need to know for my own personal fanfictions um <laughs> and be prepared for disappointment <laughs> this fanfiction about like shot paper getting it on and um what else do i feel about this episode i love the songs i love the this song the most i i still have these feelings about these african people in these videos but whatever this is <laughs> well let's uh let's shift into trivia and there's not much this episode, uh, but three things I wanted to uh, bring up here with you. Uh, starting with, at the end of this episode, there is a 35-second rock video of We Can Make a Difference. It's not really much trivia. It's pretty obvious because it's at the end of the credits. But it is a point of trivia here. And uh, Sean Harrison is l- introduced as an old acquaintance of Pizzazz. Now, I, I really wish they explored that a bit more in this episode. I thought that was a missed opportunity, but I mean, there's just so much going on, right? Like, all these different, you know, threads that they needed to um, kind of conclude at the end. So, I can, to me, I think if they if they simplified things a little bit and not had so much going on, they could have maybe spent a little bit more time on that. That would have been interesting. Yeah, it would have been. Um, and and I also I feel like. I do really feel like whoever wrote this episode like had a, you know some kind of longer script in mind that got chopped up to make it like fit into the time frame of this, but it was just really odd. And uh, the final point here, uh, one of our favorite animation mistakes: Kimber's hair turns pink twice. So actually, 
Are you talking about like in the in the last video? I don't know if it's in the last video, but it, I have it written down here that it happens twice in the episode. Because I actually think it's actually a bigger mistake than that. But it, it's kind of hard to tell because once again, like all their faces look the same, and it really the way to tell what part is by their hair color. But in the in the share video. First of all, there's a point at which, like, there's a lot of Jerrica in the share video, and then there's a point at which Jerrica has the microphone and is singing inside of some sort of brain machinery that she and the holograms fly into a rainbow with. <laughs> I swear to you, this is a real thing that happens, and I'm not just, like, on an trip. But, like, it's really weird at that point that Jerrica has the microphone. And then, at another point in the share video, where there's, like, this sort of sweeping, like, shot of a whole bunch of people in the hologram sort of standing in front. There's Jem in the middle who's singing and she's standing next to Jem. And I kind of feel like that might be Kimber with pink hair. But the reason why I thought it was Jem is because she's wearing another of Jem's outfits. You are making me question everything now. <laughs> what is going on? I didn't notice that. I'm going to take a moment, actually, and look at this again, because I was like, wait a minute. What is, what's happening? You, you got it in front of me? Shindig. Yeah, I got it on my phone. Hold on a second. Okay, so yeah. So in the share video, it is... Um, they they are on this weird brain machine. And Jerrica is singing. It's not Jem. And then the brain machine flies off on a rainbow... And drops more magical white people seed. <laughs> magical into white people seed. Uh, glittery white people seed. It's that glittery white sounds people seed. Like it makes no sense. Oddly okay. sexual. <laughs> in a really, really inappropriate way. <laughs> it is. Okay, so then we get to this point where, all right, so it's sort of like the last bit, and it's Gem and the holograms, and they're standing in front of like this whole group of people. It's like the, that, that Coca-Cola commercial, I'd like to teach the world to sing. And actually, I'm looking at it now, that is Kimber, because Kimber was wearing that outfit earlier in the video, and she does have pink hair. So, but it looks like Kimber's wearing this purple outfit that I think is very similar to an outfit that Jem wears at other times. Like, I've seen Jem in that outfit before, or a similar one, which is oh. why I thought that it was two Gems standing next to each other. Okay. But, I, but that is Kimber. But it's hard to tell because she's don't she she doesn't have an instrument. Like Aja has her guitar, Shane is just staying there, Kimber's just staying there, and Jem is wearing that ridiculous orange outfit again. And and yeah, so it's Kimber with pink hair animation mistake. And it goes on for a long time. Well, uh I mean it's not the first time that uh, that they've had some fairly egregious animation mishaps in this show and I'm sure there will be many more to come but for now I think we should wrap and all I have to say is Kate Tempest Bradford are you a Cylon and are you on the internet somewhere I am not a Cylon because there's no one else around here that looks just like me so clearly I'm an original and I am on the internet um, you can find me at a uh, tiny tempest on Twitter, uh, or you could go to ktempestbradford.com to read my blog, or you could go to ktempest.tumblr.com to see all my fan squeeze. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll be back. Uh, when we'll be back? That's a great question. Probably. 
hopefully next week. Uh, I don't know exactly when Aline is going to be back. We might have to do another one without her because I think, well, WWDC will be spanning the entire week. So uh, I think she'll probably be, be, be there for that entire time. So we may have to do another one, unfortunately, without her because it'll just be way too long in between episode uh, 9 and 10. Um, but yeah, that's just how it's got to be. But uh, I'll be very happy when she comes back because we miss her. We'll stick around for episode 10. And I haven't even looked at what's actually coming up next. But I'm interested in seeing if Sean ever comes back. I feel like he does make another appearance. I don't remember. Do you? Oh, oh, sh- oh, yes. Are you kidding? Sean comes back a lot. I love it. I love it. It's great. When Sean returns, there's so much. And there's roller skating. Oh. It's going to be great when we get to that. Okay. Well, that's it for now. See you next week.